On this episode of AV Week, we talk about implementing hybrid technologies and why employers aren't coming up to snuff. And where are the kids at getting youth into the AV industry? This and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 527, recorded September 24th, 2021. Where are the kids at? Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation, and by FSR. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AV Week, your source for news and information in the AV industry. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Well, it's been a busy news week with lots of stuff, but before we get to what we're going to talk about, I want to introduce my guests who I'm really excited to have on today. First off, of course, Dawn Mead. She's Senior AV Architect for the Defense Aerospace Industry. Dawn, good to see you again. Good to see you, George. It's always a pleasure. I know. Someday in the flesh. We will, we will, I swear. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly, yes. Also joining us is David Silverstein. He is Channel Manager for D10. And I have actually seen him in person all too often for many years. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, George? All right. Also joining us is Christian Young. He is Product Marketing Manager at A10 Technology. Glad to make your acquaintance, sir. Hello, George. Morning. Hello, everyone. All right. And also joining us is Manolo Alamagro. He is Managing Partner at Q Division. How are you, sir? Hey. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, great to have you. Great to have you. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Our first story comes from AV Magazine. It is, workers complain about lack of hybrid office technology. Ooh, hot button topic. All right, this story goes on to say that a third of UK respondents in a Barco research paper looked at workers' views on technology requirements and said that their companies were not prioritizing investment in hybrid working. Uh, Just for those who like this kind of stuff, the study was done by a company called Savanta, surveying 784 white-collar workers from different industries, seniority levels, and company sizes throughout the world of UK, US, India, Singapore, Australia, France, Germany, and the like. All right. Well, let's start that off. Since we've got some new people, Manny, why are companies not prioritizing the idea that we are going to go to hybrid workforce? There's just no denying it. I think there there's a study out there that says a lot of the the senior level folks have there's a disconnect. Um, I think part of it is they really want their workers to come back. As much as the workers are like, I, I like the way things are. Um, there there's a thing that they're pushing about culture and collaboration, and I I believe that that's part of why they're not really pushing it or or making it a priority. And so, uh, in that case, if if you don't make it a priority then because you think people are going to come back or you want them to come back. That's just, that's the way it's going to be unless they, unless something changes. Well, David, you and I both worked for a company who in its early incarnation forbid any sort of thoughts of remote work or working outside of the office or not being chained to a desk. From my understanding, that's changed. But why do you think that changed happened at that company? I mean, pre-COVID, I was understanding that that kind of stuff changed. You see that that is actually happening, but there's still resistance. What have you experienced? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything. So in general, the concept of remote working makes sense these days. 
I think a lot of people have now learned that people can work remotely. And a, and a better definition is you have to learn how to work first. If you know how to work, you can work from anywhere. But if you're young and don't know how to work, I kind of want you in an office so that I can teach you how to work and know how you work before I just leave you at home and do whatever you want to do. And I think that's the real thing that that leadership is worried about is are people going to work if they're at home because they don't have eyes on them. Now, the other part of it is there might be large organizations that are going through all kinds of plans to establish hybrid work environments and hybrid work, but they don't want to announce what's in place because as you well know, if somebody just goes, hey, we're going to have hybrid work, people what does that mean? Do I get stuff at my house? What, where am I going here? You know, all those kind of things. In the, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, the people at Google were expensing their lunches when they were home from because, you know, when they were at work, they got free lunch. So when they were home, they should get free lunch. And I think organizations have to figure all this out, put a lot of things in place before they can just step up and say, okay, everybody, we're going to a hybrid workforce, which is why we're hearing this, oh, we're going to wait another two months before we come back or three months. I think they're buying their time to put something real in place because at the end of the day, hybrid is going to be the way, the way most, most everybody operates. Let's face it, there are certain things that you have to do physically in the space, and I'm sure Don can name many, many organizations and places where I can't just take my work home and continue doing what I was going to do. <laughs> Don, let's let's change the nature of that question a little bit. You work in an industry in which you really can't do the work from home because of security issues, right? So this survey said that um, that the workers saw a disconnect between what they believed they needed and what was being equipped. In fact, 76% of the respondents agreed that all meeting rooms should be equipped with video conferencing technology to promote and enable a hybrid way of working, end quote. So what are they missing? I, I mean, it, it really does depend on the industry. So my own company, and I can't tell you who that is, I'd have to kill you, but my own company, we have people that manufacture. Guys and gals that manufacture, they have to be on the line or in the room where they're manufacturing things. You can't do that remotely. If you're working in any kind of closed, secure, uh, skiff or classified area, obviously you're not going to be doing that remotely. And even those of us who have the benefit of being able to work remotely, you know, there's a lot of extra hoops we have to jump through with, you know, VPNs and anonymizers and logging in 12 times and giving the blood of your firstborn, which is tough for those of us without kids. And, you know, it, it's a whole different challenge. Um, I, I mean, where we are able I can tell you that my company and a lot of companies in my shoes are beginning to put that investment in hybrid working. But let's be honest, it was sort of outside the scope of thinking for a lot of our higher ups until this pandemic made it a necessity. And those of us that were in the AV and IT teams at these companies when the pandemic hit, man, even if we weren't classified as essential, we were essential because we spent months just trying to get webcams and, and, and VPNs and all, you know, all the things in place so that everybody who could possibly work from home is able to throughout the past year and a half. And, you know, every time we start to phase people back, then another variant pops up and we're working at home again, uh, where I am today. 
Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of a lot of the higher ups, thanks to the pandemic, and you don't hear that very often, but <laughs> thanks to the pandemic, a lot of the higher ups, the executives, the folks that are the decision makers and the ones that like to micromanage and peek over your shoulder are realizing that it's not feasible in this world. And unlike 1919 or 1917, whenever the heck that last pandemic was that took out the world, you know, we have the capability of not shutting everything down. We can keep being productive. We can keep our businesses going in a lot of cases remotely. And that's something that previous generations that faced pandemics and, and plagues and, and so on, they didn't have that opportunity. So I, I think that the people in this poll, you know, they're going to get there. They just have to let their boss's brains catch up a little, let their boss's purse strings catch up a little. You know, I can tell you none of our 2020 budgets and even a lot of our 2021 budgets did not have a lot of hybrid and collaborative stuff in them because we planned five years out and we didn't know we were going to get hammered with a global pandemic. You know, you, you change things suddenly. It's, it's, it's a little bit agile. And the bigger the company, sometimes, you know, you, can, you can't turn the Titanic on a dime. You gotta, you gotta be agile in a speedboat, not in a yacht. It's an apt, apt metaphor. I like it. Thank you, <laughs> Christian. So let's wrap this up a little bit. So, the conversation has been, say, from David and from Annie, and that uh, you know people need to make the change, right? And Don mentioning that there are budget constraints and process requests, uh, restraints. Sorry, uh, but the article goes on to talk about more about that detail about how workers say that they want touchscreens, they want to use their laptop as a command center, they want wireless technology for rooms, uh, they want those kind of technology investments that encourage a free-form workforce and a free-form way of collaborating. This is something we in the industry have advocated for more than a decade, probably 20, 20 years of, of advocating for this, but it still seems to be a constraint that's not put in. I'm going to ask almost the same question I asked Don is, where are we missing that market and how are we not capitalizing on this new trend? I think that a lot of manufacturers are seeing this type of trend. They're realizing that this trend is coming faster than what they thought before because of the pandemic. I agree with all my uh, friends here, David, Don, uh, Manny, that it depends on the circumstances that we're talking about, whether the company can implement all these changes based on the, the demands that the employees are requesting because they want to have the same accommodation that they have at home, but they want to have premium equipment in order to um, conduct these meetings. Uh, they want to have uh, this, the, the space, the social distancing that you need to have because of the pandemic uh, in, in, the, in the corporate facility, in the corporate office. Uh, but I, at the same time, that's what manufacturers are, are looking at. How is it, how can we expedite, how can we move the needle faster in order to meet these demands that the employees are asking? Uh, like you said, uh, Touch, touchless screens, having wireless presentation switches, uh, so you can just bring your own device. You, you don't have to depend on the components or the devices that are already installed in the in the meeting room. Uh, you can just do it wirelessly. Uh, so again, manufacturers are realizing that. I think they are introducing a lot of products that are going moving towards that direction. My company is doing it. Uh, during the next lineup, we're introducing some products that are more like wireless. And, and that allow the hybrid model to be implemented in a better and easier way for the companies. 
Okay, so the question for the group to, to sort of summarize this one, do we have any opportunity in the idea that David brought up, which was how do we know they're working? Right, that's a common question. It seems a little bit big brother-ish, but do we have the technology and the ability to give them that assurances that someone is completing their work? Besides getting the project done, I mean, there's that very tangible. <laughs> but how do we work with that and still work within our ideas of privacy and, and, and all that? Does anyone have an, a thought on that? Well, I, I've seen a lot of uh, draconian measures where they're they actually have software that runs on the laptops or the computers hmm. that are tracking activity. Like there are, there are also plenty of YouTube videos now that show how to cheat those systems by <laughs> moving your mouse around while you're in a meeting or, you know, just even when you, if you even look at the engagement numbers when you're in a WebEx or Zoom, they can track if you're actually paying attention. So it's the same principle. Um, I think where, where it, it's just going to be short-sighted to wait it out or try to like force fit the culture back into in person is we're in this mode of the great resignation where everybody has an opportunity to quit or they're reevaluating their jobs for these places that are going to let them do what they want, which is remote work. So they may not make the investment and they can, they can think that they're, they're, they're saving it, but you're going to lose talent and then have to spend more money to get that talent back or get the kind of talent you want. So it, it, to me, it's not sustainable just to wait it out. I think there's the bigger opportunity is build the environment that people want to work in if you want to keep the great talent around and attract yeah. that, that talent as well. That's just my and, opinion. Yeah, and I think as, as, industry, as more organizations adopt things like KPIs, you know, key performance indexes and those kind of tests, you can you can identify that somebody is still working on their task and completing what they need to complete. And in today's world, we don't need to know that you're sitting at your computer. That's, that's one of the things that I think we've learned is somebody comes in at nine and leaves at five doesn't mean that they're working the entire time. And somebody at home, yeah, they're gonna go answer the doorbell or take care of the kids for a minute or whatever. But, you know, in the long run, maybe they're more focused and more productive the rest of the time. And I've seen many studies that say people that work from home don't certainly end at five. A lot of people start before nine. It's a different environment. It's a different way of working. And what, what everybody needs is a good measuring stick that says, okay, they've produced the amount of work that I need produced in this timeline. And then you know whether you're success successful or not. And I think it's a matter of the each industry kind of determining what that is. You know, if you've ever been in an organization where where somebody's come in and said, okay, now we're going to rate everybody on KPIs. If you've watched the, the whole company and what it takes to generate that, it's not that easy. And I think a lot of people are going to have to go through that right now. But yeah. at the end, I think you're absolutely right. And as the story says, you know, there are there are way over a million conference rooms out there that have no form of video conferencing in them today. Hmm. So as a person, yes, there are 10 rooms and two of them have video conferencing. I need the other eight to have video conferencing because half my team isn't gonna come in. So yeah, that's a, that's a definite known issue, how fast somebody can build those out and get those done. Uh, that's to be determined, but if they have the budget, we as the AV industry, I'm sure are ready to do it. At the end of the day, you know, the ability of getting people to work from home 
and having this hybrid flexibility in their schedules comes down to the same thing as getting investment in our rooms on hybrid technologies and that's getting a mind change or a mind shift among the higher executives and having them understand that you know it's not going to be everybody sitting around the table we're going to have people calling in we need this investment similarly we have to change their mind that a work week is 40 hours chained to a desk just like david said of productivity and that is so not true if i'm in the office you know, I love my coworkers. I love what I do. But, you know, you got Tim from IT comes over and jabs for 45 minutes about his kids softball team and how they made the championships. And then, you know, the boss has a meeting, but we end up devolving and talking about all going out to lunch and where are we going to go for lunch and how are we going to do that? And then a customer calls at, on the company phone and we end up all sitting around the table talking and it goes off onto their kids. And I mean, it just, you know, the actual amount of work done in a work day in a modern office can be significantly lower than eight hours, 40 hours a week. Whereas, you know, at home, I wake up, I roll out of bed, throw on the yoga pants, let the dog out. I'm at work by 7.30. I don't have to sit in traffic for an hour and a half in DC, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I, I get my job started. I work until five, even though it's, you know, nine and a half hours of a work day. And even taking time to let the dog in and out relentlessly and unload the dishwasher when I go out to make my lunch, I'm still way more productive <laughs> sitting on the couch in my yoga pants than yeah. I would be in the, office. in the office. So, but, but the higher management still a lot of times, and here we go to the, I'm not going to take us off on the tangent of generational things, but suffice <laughs> to say, you know, some of the old white dudes at the top of the companies need to start realizing that these are not farm days. We don't work a perfect eight hour day while the sun is up and the, the hay is being pitched out of the field. And you know, the, the old industrial revolution style of work week, is not the modern work week and they need to like david said find out the indicators of what makes you productive and if you're if you're pulling out your work you're being productive to that end i, I just want to segue this because that's a perfect segue into the next article which will cover some of the stuff i think somebody everybody wants to say <laughs> right so this next article is from rave pubs uh, create opportunities for young people to enter the av industry this is written by alexis lebroy lebroy uh, she's basing it on her technical experience or experience in moving from a, as a major in chemical engineering, Jesus, to technical <laughs> theater. Now, that's a that's a loop. Gosh. Um, she uh, uh, discusses in this the internships and entry via a program called Inroads, which helps young people in underserved communities learn how to join the business world. And she has a four step plan about how to bring people into the or young people, especially into the industry that we seem to be having so much trouble with. Uh, David, I'm going to start with you on this one. Why do you think we always have trouble getting young people into the AV technology center, right? When we worked at another company, a manufacturer, we got a lot of young people, but it wasn't in the technical side a lot. You know, it, it's interesting. I think, I think the answer is we just don't represent ourselves that well. And I'll go back to some, I don't know, 15, might have even been 20 years ago, as part of Infocom, when they were called Infocom, uh, we did something called Skills USA, where high school students actually went and learned how to do AV stuff. And there was a national competition for all kinds of different skills. It wasn't just AV, we were the AV thing. And uh, as, a, you know, as an Infocom member, the, the Infocom committee, we went and judged these students who had to go and build a rack and set up a projector and make sure it hit the screen the right way and all the basic stuff of AV. 
And it was, you know, it was very exciting. And, and indeed, it drew kids in. In today's world, I think we just have to look in different spots. You know, no, no, no student is going into an office and seeing a conference room on a regular basis. So how can they really understand what we do? Right. Yet at the same time, as George, you well know, we always draw from the live events group. We draw from the guys that are playing guitars because to play an electric guitar, you got to plug in an amplifier and that's our world. So, hey, somebody understands us. We've always been able to draw from there. But let's look at today's world of digital signage in particular and outdoor direct view digital signage. Use those as draws. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could build that? Wouldn't you like to be involved in that happening? There is so much AV out there exposed to everybody. Uh, I was watching the Emmys the other night and in their pop-up tent, because they had to be outside technically, you know, they had <laughs> LED video walls running both sides of the entire space. And I said to my wife, look at how much more work for AV people went into the Emmys this year than previous years. Right? Yeah, there's still cameras and recorders and all that kind of stuff that goes on. But the additional components, TV shows now, the entire back wall is just a huge LED wall so they can change things in a minute. There's lots of opportunities there. There's a lot of stuff that the general public sees that we do. We just have to figure out how to communicate to those people that say, if you want to be involved in making that, come here and look at us. And the other side of it is, I think we need to look to the IT world. There are a lot of people out there that are help desk support people that run around and plug in monitors and hook stuff up. And when we're talking about technicians, we need and want people that know how to hook stuff up. Uh, and if they're already there, what's the difference between plugging in an HDMI cable to a monitor or an HDMI cable into a switch? So, so Manny, David basically talked about point one of this article, which was talk to young people in the area about what you do for the industry and how that works. I think earlier you were going to touch on what point four talks about, which is if you're inter interested in finding new diverse talent for your organization, go to the place where talent exists. Uh, maybe I'm a little off, but talk to me about that. Yeah, well, I think if you think about how live streaming has evolved, that to me is like the linchpin because that's where the young people are gravitating because they're interested in it and it's all about AV tech just at that core. And then if you look at YouTube and Twitch and all of these other areas and going to what David said, even the TV shows, there's a TV show that launched yesterday called Alter Ego and it's about holograms and motion capture and it's all AV tech to produce this amazing show which is a lot like The Voice but Instead of real people, you're watching their avatars perform. Like you, you gotta, you gotta find that interest level and then focus that and say, you know what that is? That's that's the AV tech world. If you want to join in that, that's what you should do. And I think there's there's the promise of it because, um, especially on Twitch and live streaming, because it's already there. The interest is there. Everybody wants to know the best cameras, the best mics. Uh, now, granted, it's for the home side of things, but that that can evolve to creating these experiences in retail, uh, hybrid uh, events. I mean, it's everywhere now. And I think we just need to be able to to use examples and say that thing that you saw that was really cool, this is how it was done, and then bring them into that discussion. So, But I feel like right now, there's even a few channels right now that are AV focused on Twitch, which is a gaming platform. 
So you, you start thinking about some people are already thinking that way. Uh, you know, Chris Nito has a Twitch channel. He's he's experimenting mm. with it, but that's the thing. He's already seeing there's a place where you can reach out to the the younger set because that's really where they go is Twitch, right? Uh, and then they can do a search, and then suddenly you'll see, oh, AV. Uh, there's a uh, this week in tech has, has its own Twitch channel. So I think there's this evolution. We just have to, as as David said, go to the places where they are. So right. Well, Twitch has a Twitch channel, so you know. They yeah. also should have had the Twitter for they they were got scammed on that one. But nonetheless, <laughs> Christian, uh, item two on this article says create an onboarding and training plan for interns and apprentices. This is a question we've often had: is where do you start with that? I know David said and Manny covered some of the, hey, we go where the talent is and let's bring them in. But when we are trying to get someone in high school to start joining us, that onboarding plan may be a little more intensive. I guess I have two questions for you is how do you envision that looking like and do we have the corporate backing to actually do that? Give someone a chance to breathe, make mistakes and learn. I think that corporations need to look into that. I mean, not all the companies probably are open to that, especially probably startup companies and many will have the financial backup for that. But large corporations, established corporations should look into that and put a a training program for these uh, youngsters that want to uh, try to dip their toes into into this AV world. Uh, and, and like David and Manny said, there are so many um, opportunities to make this field so attractive. Uh, try to make the, the, the syllabus or the program interesting for them, like with the online thing, with the internet thing, with the streaming, live streaming uh, mentality that there are topics that will be interested for them that will make them join the program. Um, no, again, just to add other applications or, or other um, sources of, of how these people can be, uh, how the young people can be interested in. Immersive uh, experiences now that we're seeing all over the world. Uh, we have, uh, we're helping a company, the Van Gogh experience to, with, with their immersive experiences uh, locations in the US. Um, I've seen, uh, we also have another company that is trying to create uh, rooms of like, I think it's like a 12 by 12 type of rooms where you can go inside and be immersed in some type of experience. Like if you're in a park or you are uh, 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 in some uh, forest by yourself, that makes, I think, that type of creativity, that type of idea will make the young people interested in the AV. But then you have to create these type of training programs, focus on, that, on those aspects. Um, and, and there are so many other applications that the young can, can be um, picking for curiosity to see how, how interested the AV world is for them. Cool. No, I, okay, that's a very valid point. Now, that does dovetail into, Don, something you're very familiar with, which is point three in this article, which is, quote, reach out to associations and organizations that are already doing this work. My question to you is, though, we've talked about this forever. Gosh. 15 years ago doing these shows, 10 years ago doing these shows, back in 1945 when we started AB Nation. Uh, where is Avixa, NAB, Plaza, Cedia in this? Because their efforts seem to be ineffective at best. They, they do make efforts and, and make progress in this form, but it's not something, I mean, none of these associations have the budget to go out and, you know, in an ideal world, hey, let's buy a Super Bowl commercial and tell everyone how cool AV is and there's all this opportunity and, hey, kids, don't you want to do this when you grow up? I mean, that would that's the dream. But it would take probably all of 
Avixa and Plaza and, and NSCA and all those groups you just mentioned, it would take all their combined annual budgets to buy a 30-second Super Bowl commercial. So, you know, that's not really feasible. Um, they do what they can, though, but a lot of it, it still falls to us. Those of you that are watching this, listening to this, those of us on the panel, you know, we're in the industry. We need to go to these associations, take the information that they've provided, whether it's a curriculum, whether it's uh, a, a, an idea for a team, like when they did Skills USA, whether it's scholarship opportunities, take this information that is out there in our field, and then we need to take it to the schools, to the colleges, to the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts. I remember at a women's council event uh, with Infocom, when it was still Infocom, they had Dr. Bonnie Schnitta, who is a brilliant acoustical engineer. Uh, she's a fellow of the Acoustical Society of America, or whatever the heck their acronym is. And she and that organization developed a curriculum for Girl Scouts to do little hands-on projects, build your own microphone out of a matchbox, or you know those sorts of things. And they could earn a patch for their for their Girl Scout ribbon or whatever the heck it is. Hey, I wasn't a Girl Scout, sorry. And, you know, they can learn about it and get interested in the industry at a young age. I've spoken before STEM groups in our, in my county. I've gone to the to the local college STEM group and said, hey, can I talk to your, your kids about AV one, one of your meetings? And gave them a little PowerPoint dog and pony show, included a video from Avixa, Infocom then, and said, look, if you guys are interested, let us know. My company and a lot of companies out there We'd love to have you for interns, summer jobs that are paid. You know, there's a lot of opportunity. And there's still, I mean, when I started in the industry, there was no college degree. Now we're starting to see little little starts at college degrees. I think Columbia College in Chicago is leading the charge there. But for the most part, there's no, you, there's no degree to be an AV engineer or an AV tech. Broadcast and acoustical and those sorts of things. There's all sorts of peripheral degrees but there's no one direct path to where we are. So that path should be us as AV professionals. Talk to your kids, talk to your kids, friends, <laughs> be a pest and go to their school and give a talk on career day. Even if your kid's in kindergarten, you know what I mean? Normalize being in AV is a thing and feel free to steal my catchphrase. We get paid to play with big kid toys <laughs> all day long. We play with the speakers or the mics and the led walls and all the cool shiny whiz bang stuff. And they're actually paying us to play with this crap all day. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, like, share your passion. Let me ask you this, though. And that's exactly what I've been doing. That's exactly what a lot of people have been doing. But this is a very disorganized uh, <laughs> Occupy Wall Street kind of activity <laughs> that's happening within. So my question is, though, rather than buying the million dollar, two million dollar Super Bowl ad, where is the outreach? As we know, trouble with shows, but local shows and trade shows seem to be doing better than the big bangers, right? So where is the idea, possibly, that we say, I want to pay you, Don, as part of our funding, to go out and be part of that outreach? So there's responsibilities, there's dedication, there's you have to do it, you can't cancel, you know, and you have to have an active plan of where I'm going to go to outreach to, to do this with sponsors. Where is that as an industry? All those trade groups together. Let's make a general education fund where those people in the industry can go out and do that rather than having to try to bring them to Infocom and say, look, it's shiny lights, it's all bleak, it's great, it's fantastic. Right. Right. Is there not a solution there? There there are starts towards that. I know NSCA, um, granted, they're, they do low voltage all around, including security and stuff, but they have their Ignite program they started a couple years ago. Uh, I'm not sure how active that program still is, but it was a great resource for sending young people to their site. 
um, you know, and, and, and to sort of draw them in and they come up with brainstorming ideas. Uh, my former co-host on AV Social, Kelly Perkins, she was uh, one of the Ignite board members or something. And she was constantly brainstorming with me. Hey, what can we do? What can we get the kids in? You know, um, stuff like that. Stuff like the scholarships, man. Kids are begging for money. Everyone in America knows about the student loan crisis and every scholarship, every penny helps. The first year Infocom gave away some of their big scholarships. I won one of them as a working professional for grad school because there weren't enough high school applicants. They didn't know about it. Uh, not that I'm not grateful. Thank you guys. But like, <laughs> tell the kids, man, I'm already in the industry. I'm invested, you know, go, go out and find these high school kids, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, go to the middle schools, tell them, Hey, when you grow up, you want to do this, call Avixa, avixa.org. Super easy. Call NSCA, NSCA.org. Easy. You know, get in touch with these people and take their free money and play with big kid toys for money. You know, like, there, there are efforts out there. We just need to grasp them and, and make them more widespread. So that, that's all I got. <laughs> well, that's going to have to do it for this episode. We've run out of time. We could talk for hours and someday, as we said, in the flesh. So they say, so they say. Love to do that over a few beers. Well, I want to thank my guests for joining us today. It's been a really dynamic conversation. I love talking to you guys. Again, just to wrap up, where they can meet you, where they can find out more about your companies, Dawn. Senior AV architect for the defense aerospace industry. Where can they find out more about you and others? You can't find my company, uh, but you can find me on all the socials at AV Dawn or Dawn Mead with an E on the end, just like the fort. Um, you can find me here on avnation.tv hosting the roughly monthly, bi-monthly AV social uh, marketing show. And you can find me if you're one of the brave and hearty souls going to Orlando next month at Infocom teaching not one, but two classes on communication and end user experience and what we're looking for in integrators. So some juicy stuff, and I hope to see you all there. All right, David Silverstein, General Ma Channel Manager at D10. Where can they find out more about you and the company? Uh, well, certainly from a company point of view, it's david.silverstein at d10.com, which is pretty straightforward. Uh, and then, of course, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those kind of things. Uh, I am D10 Dave. Cool. All right. Christian, you are Product Marketing Manager at A10 Technology. Where can they find out more about A10 and you? Sure. Our website is www.a10.com. Uh, you can find me at cyoung at a10-usa.com. And we will also be at Infocom, booth number 3453. Hope to see you all there. All right. And finally, Manny, where can they find out more about Q Division and the work you do? Uh, well, you can go to our website, which is qdivision.us. Uh, it's named after the James Bond Q Division, so you can get an <laughs> idea of what we do. And I'm also going to be speaking at Infocom. Uh, the session is the next generation of digital and physical experiences. So I hope to see you there in person. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for us today on AV Week. I want to thank all of you for joining us, and thank you for watching. We have sponsors. Please visit their sites, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Well, for everyone here at AV Week and at AV Nation, I want to thank you and have a good day. We look forward to speaking to you again soon.